Hello, I'm Michael Woods, Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center. This is the ATC Double Cut, where I talk about things that I've written about on my blog. Sounds kind of exciting to me because these topics are things that I thought were worth writing about, and I think they're worth discussing. And today I have a special guest. It is John Kaminsky joining from State College, Pennsylvania. Hello, John. Hi, Micah. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. For anybody who doesn't know, and I guess that would be very few people, John is the director of the Golf Course Management Program. Is that right? At Penn, of the two-year yeah. program? Two-year program, yep. At Penn State University. Uh, he is widely followed on the social media uh, platform Twitter, where you can find him at iTweetTurf. Thanks for the shout out. Yes. I'm almost, he, almost to 16,000 people. I don't know what kind of milestone that's going to achieve, but um, I, I got to do something. Maybe I'll give away a free book or something, you know? Oh, well, you, you can, you're also the author, uh, the co-author of Turfgrass Management uh, with Dr. Turgeon. And I've got a copy of that. Of course, I bought this as soon as it came out. And this is an extraordinary book. And the reason why it's such an extraordinary turfgrass textbook, and as you can see, uh, I have quite a few turfgrass textbooks on the shelves behind me. This book is great because it has the classic, valuable turfgrass information in it, but it's got color, uh, color images. So all of the images of frost damage and, uh, well, whatever, verticutting, <laughs> coring, the benefits of, of anything, and all the turf management tables and photos, they're all in color. And that is atypical. With uh, most turf grass textbooks, you're going to get black and white or line drawings or something. So this is really an extraordinary I, I, book. I, I appreciate the shout out. And I would say that I think that the textbook industry is a total sham. I mean, the fact that they're going to charge publishers charge a hundred and something bucks for a book that is all black and white and, um, and they just gouge you on it. And so I think with Dr. Turgeon, the goal of our book to update it to a newer edition was to make it better, provide color, you know, pictures and stuff, but also um, essentially self-publish it and charge half the price of what everybody else charges. And and we can do that because we did it ourselves. And uh, I still think it's a solid book, but it's 60 bucks. It's pretty good compared to what most textbooks cost. That's a heck of a deal. But if somebody wants to buy that book, where do they get it? Um, it's available on Amazon in the U.S., but it's available directly from our website, which is turfpath.com. Um, turfpath.com was the mobile app that I created, and it's my LLC, and we just put that up there. They can directly buy it from there. It's the, the only negative of it is that shipping internationally is like stupid expensive, like 60 or 70 bucks a book. So it's not really affordable if you're trying to get it internationally. Um, but anybody that comes to GCSA, the conference, or comes to the States, um, it's, it's much easier to get and pretty affordable. Right. So that's what I do sometimes with items that have an exorbitant shipping cost. I will pick them up on a trip to the United States. So if, if you sometimes travel to that country or that part of the world or have friends, it's always nice to have uh, friends who travel to tell them, hey, can you 
can you throw this in your luggage and bring this for me? Yeah. And I think in the UK, <laughs> Syngenta, Syngenta bought a bunch that's a, of them. That's, and a, that's a joke, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> can you load up your luggage with 30 pounds of books and bring them back for me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you bring me a kettlebell? <laughs> kettlebell. Um, yeah. But Syngenta UK has them. I think it's part of their... Um, early order program maybe where you can use your points to get a book. And then Nadine from Campbell Chemicals in uh, Australia, he has a bunch and he uh, either gives them out or sells them there. So there are some places that you can get them worldwide, but um, turfpath.com is where most of the books are sold. And it's available in all digital formats as well as a hardback. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm really impressed with that. When I saw that you were working on that and heard that you were working on that and you requested photos of various things and i knew that that was going to be coming out i i was a little bit skeptical that it would be that high quality that the images would be that good and that it would be that reasonably priced so congratulations on that um i know you've did you sell out the first run have you printed yeah, that we, twice we sold, we sold out two runs and i'm about to get my third run shipment in so um I don't, I mean, I don't think we're, you know, doing incredibly well. I mean, it's just a matter of most of the universities I think now are adopting it because nobody wants to gouge their students. So um, one of the interesting things about the sales of the book is that all the sales come in directly to me and I physically package them and ship them out. So I start to see all the small schools around the country that have turf programs and turf classes that I had no idea about. So there's, there's a, you know, a handful of these small community colleges that are teaching turf in, in some form. And uh, so it's pretty interesting to see. Well, excellent. I, I have a copy of that book. I have a copy of, I think, the eighth or ninth edition, which was just the single author, Dr. Turgeon. And uh, it is quite a classic book with very good reference material. Well, do you have the, Jap do you have the Japanese version of, the, of his book? No, I don't have the Japanese version of his book. Um, I have seen it. Um, I, ha I have one. I can't read it, but I have one. Well, that's good. Yeah, the, there's Japanese versions of uh, Dr. McCarty's book um, and of the, the Turfgrass Management. I think they translated the eighth edition. Um, I think it, that's right. Yeah, And that's that's good. Yeah, I've got... I've got a Japanese book. We all write a lot when we do turf grass management, and that's a nice segue into something that we talked about a lot when we were at a scientific conference in Copenhagen a couple of weeks ago, which was that I have acquired Pace Turf. And you asked me a lot of questions about that because we all know Larry Stowell and Wendy Galerter. We've known them for a long time and have been impressed with the company that they created and with all of the valuable information that they produce that's on pace turf so we talked about that a lot and on this blog post that i'm giving the double cut treatment we showed some of the fine attire that various people were wearing at the conference and, and i i put this little montage image together and john was kind enough to give me the best dressed award for the conference for a really um what would you call it pushing the boundaries of fashion with a pink uh, Augusta National bow tie uh, that I wore it, it to the conference the, It dinner. was the Augusta National uh, logo that put you over the top because it was very subtle. You know, you, it was like, I don't need to flaunt it. 
If you look close enough, you'll notice it though. And I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. I, well, thank you. I, I, <laughs> I'm glad that you did notice it and uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And that was a great conference. I know you're on the ITS board now. The ITS is the International Turf Grass Society, and they hold a quadrennial conference, which means it's held every four years. This one was postponed a year. It was supposed to be in 2020, but it was held in July of 2022. So we spent about a week in Copenhagen uh, hanging out with a lot of turfgrass scientists and turfgrass managers and learning about turfgrass science stuff. And because I've recently acquired Pace Turf, a lot of people were asking me, what am I going to be doing with Pace Turf? What is my plan for that information service? And it's something that we talked about a bit, but we never quite uh, finished the conversation, did we? No, um, we didn't, but the possibilities are endless. I mean, I just have to say, <clears throat> going back to you know when I was originally a member of this with Larry and Wendy, um, the information that they put together is incredible. I mean, I think about it from the standpoint of simply like extension bulletins that universities put out, and you want to share that information with your members or people, say you have a disease or a problem or whatever. Um, they have all of it on that site. You have all of it now. Um, and, and those resources are, are incredible. And, and there's a lot more to it that, you know, I probably don't even take advantage of as much as there is on there, but I certainly use it um, weekly and it's good. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of what they're aware of some of the free stuff that's available from Pace Turf. Everybody has heard about the turfgrass growth potential. Everybody's heard about MLSN, the nutrient guidelines that they developed together with me. And there's things like that that are available on the free section. Some of the climate appraisal forms where you can check out how the growth potential would be at your site. They have uh, top dressing calculators that you can figure out for the weather and grass at your site, approximately how much sand you might need to apply at different times of the year. There's a number of those free resources, but it's just incredible when you do have a subscription, what's available in the, the subscriber only section. And I showed this on a blog post that I put up last week. Just if you click on the references page, there are references for turf grass pests and problems that I've never even heard of before. And it's, it's very comprehensive. Yeah, and, it's you know, good. whether you're looking for a large patch or gray leaf spot, or um, whether you're looking for uh, salinity uh, leaching advice or, or anything, it's, it's really, really detailed. So the main I thing have a question was, for you, I have a yes. question for you and I didn't mean to interrupt, but I want to ask this while it was on my brain. So on Twitter, you always post um, links to a lot of these R tables and figures that you make um, where people can input their own information into it, like their zip code and get some information. Are you going to, is that on the member area or is that something that you might integrate into the member area? Well, that's a good question. And you're, I think you're referring to um, the, the. Maybe light, is it daily light or is it. Right. Those are things. I don't remember. There's several. There are several, and those are things that I have on the ATC site. And there's mm. one that we have on the Pace, one that's developed jointly with Pace Turf, which is the GP Avatar. And you can see that in the top right of that 
image that's on on the screen where there's the blue line that goes up and then the red line underneath it that's just a very simple avatar that shows the growth potential for in that case i think it's for portland oregon which i was using as my location for that particular login that that's the type of thing that is a r uh software running on the server and then we make a user interface with html and css so the user can input some data or upload a file and then there's software on a server with code that is making calculations and generating charts or other things that that somebody could download so the those are called shiny apps that's the type of software that i've been right. using which is uh shiny is something that was developed by r studio and those are things that right now i just have them all for free and i definitely have some ideas of making those types of things that would generate some very interesting infographics or some very useful annual summaries or annual predictions, um, kind of in an infographic type of form that would be available for subscribers only. But I think, awesome. but I mean, those are fun. Those are the type of things that I might work on, uh, on developing. But I, I think, there's also the weather service um, where you can opt into getting emails uh, or you can just check it out on the website. And I showed here, so this is not using R, but I'm, I brought up on the screen now an image that shows what the weather tab is for subscribers. And it shows historical for the past month, the growing degree days, the growth potential, the temperatures, the humidity, the, some stress indices, Smith Kearns dollar spot model, and that sort of thing. There's also a climate appraisal with uh, 18 downloadable uh, files that have some pretty intensive calculations that are based on five years of daily data with things like leaf wetness duration, which you know as a plant pathologist, um, leaf wetness duration is kind of important for di disease development. So you can look at that for your site and see which times in the year did you have leaf wetness over a certain amount. So that so what that's available right now for subscribers. It's it's uh, looking just at your past five years of daily data, and I think I'd like to work with that even more to make even. Uh, even more detailed calculations. That's pretty but, good. I need to uh, go into the State College site, download that information, <clears throat> go back and look at my historical records of when all my diseases started and peaked, and then send all that information to Frishta, the new pathologist at Maryland, who is a, uh, an awesome epidemiologist, and try to develop some models based on just historical data that we have. It seems like it would be fairly easy to do something like that. Yeah, I think that... Um, the pace turf approach with disease modeling has always been you're at risk of this disease or you're not. It's, it's never so specific of saying you need to apply X chemical at this time because you're going to have a disease. It's not like that, but it's providing the subscribers with decision support tools about whether they are at risk of a disease or not. And that's the sort of thing that can be really useful because for turfgrass managers, in order to get the 
conditions that are necessary it's really dependent on the weather and the weather the weather is so important and pace turf tries to simplify well i mean not simplify it but summarize it and provide information that's actionable so well what's nice what's nice about that too is you get it in an email if you want and so i would get it and it would just come in and i'd be like oh look we're at risk for this right now and it meant i didn't have to log into the site to hunt it down it was just kind of like hey heads up this is what your risk level is based on the weather right now and and that was always nice to get right and there's another thing that that there are are instead of a there's some blog type posts that would that are open to the public there's there's quite a lot of information on the site that's publicly available but there are also updates weekly that are for subscribers only and that goes out in the email on mondays with all the all of the updates that have been made in the previous week because there is more than 20 years of those updates with some of some of those are kind of evergreen it's it's like uh, heat stress. You know, here's here's a list of things to to be aware of when you have a real hot spell coming up, and here's what you might need to communicate about why the grass uh, is not doing so well, or here's steps that you might take to look at rapid turf recovery if you do have any damage. There's those types of things that are evergreen content, so we can just recycle some of those and take a post that was relevant six years ago or something and say, oh, we have similar conditions. Let's reshare that one. But there's also new content that we develop on a weekly basis. So for example, over the weekend, I think I think it was over the weekend, there was a huge discussion about manganese and a, and a, a, uh, a putting green and a photo shared from a putting green in England where the turf became very green and that turned into one of the larger Twitter conversations about turf nutrition in, uh, in a few months. Now it just so happens that Pace Turf has quite a bit of information on their site in these subscriber only updates about manganese and about manganese and take all patch and summarizing some of the research that was done um, at Rutgers about that. And I have quite a bit of data about soil and leaf tissue manganese for multiple grass species from some ongoing research that I'm doing. And we also have the entire MLSN data set with manganese data. And we also have the global soil survey data set with manganese information. So I've summarized that and I haven't published it on the Pace Turf site yet. And typically when it was just, when I, when I was just running ATC, I would have just said, okay, I'll spend an hour to put this all together and just post it. Uh, here's my take on manganese and post it on the ATC site. But this is the type of thing that I'm going to start putting on the Pace Turf site and keep it for the subscribers the full details of what that analysis is. And then I'll just, uh, I'll still put something on the ATC site, but not as much because I do think for the work that goes into developing this information and then uh, sharing this information and then making sure that that information is online and the website doesn't crash and so on, it's worthwhile that people can pay a 
small fee. Yeah. So if if you want <clears throat> to sign up for PaySurf, it is two hundred and seventy five dollars a year. You can pay by credit card, and I think that even a single one of those fact sheets. Uh, when you actually have that problem and you need to solve that problem, uh, it kind of pays for itself real quick. And there's a, a lot of value in that. So I, I, I would say, um, you know, in full disclosure, Mike is not paying me to be on this <laughs> podcast. And, and I am a member of, uh, of PaceTurf and have been. I think it's a, a tremendous resource and I use it frequently. So, um, you know, a lot of it is stuff that, you know, either I've known or I, I have a general understanding of, but I think the, the format of how things are put in there and the ability to just, um, you know, download or print something off and have it and show it to a club or a member or something, it's, it's useful from that standpoint as well. Well, thank you, John. I, I appreciate that and I appreciate your membership and I, um, I am not going to do a full tour of the website. We'll just talk about it. Um, but those, there are, there's something called the clubhouse edition, which you can have a, a large number of resources. I haven't made any of those. These are all um, the resources that were developed by Larry and Wendy, but there are clubhouse editions about why do we airify? And the types of things that sometimes you need to communicate, and now you can communicate it f coming from a recognized scientific organization that's independent saying, here's the reasons why this is necessary, formatted in a way that is, is not really targeted for golf course superintendents now. It's targeted for the general manager or the owner or the committee. And I think that it's tremendous the amount of ideas that they came up with through consulting over the years, because you don't think of some of these clubhouse editions in a typical sense. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to write an article about this. There had to be some <clears throat> member or somebody at a club they were consulting at that was like, they need an explanation on this. And they constantly just kept taking all those you know, um, problems that they had on the golf course and then creating these solutions out of them. They've been, they're awesome. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work and kudos to them for um, putting it all together originally and good on you for seeing the value in it and taking over. Well, thank you. Yes. It's as I've ex tried to explain to people, uh, my initial, my initial actions are just to keep it going. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But of course, uh, Beyond that, I'm looking to really develop a few more useful features for the subscribers, especially as it relates to analysis of weather data, analysis of forecast weather data, analysis of historical weather data, and taking some, uh, yeah, making interesting calculations. So it's, yeah, it's somewhere in between those shiny apps, but basically... With the shiny apps, the user has to do something, right? If if you go to that DLI app, you have to pick your location. You have to s click and say, yes, I want to download the data. Yes, I want to do this. And of course that works, but that's you're not going to go do that every day. And what I want to do for the Pace Turf subscribers is make it so we will decide something that's really going to be valuable and then they get it automatically. So they don't have to... 
I don't want people to have yeah. to go click and, and do things. That's too much work. So we just want well, to provide those decision idea. support tools. I think that this is good too. I don't know how many of these you've done, this double cut, but you know, just you talking about the manganese discussion and then showing all the resources that you have behind the scenes. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, that's something I get geeked out about from a marketing and promotion standpoint. It's good to be able <laughs> to like sh share the information that you have in a hidden behind a subscription service and say, look, this is all good information and why you need to be a member. Um, so good on you. I think that, you know, people look at these subscription services and say, you know, what's the value in that? Why would I do it? Um, but from my standpoint, as a as a subscriber to PaceTurf, the value's there, so it's it's worth it, and it takes money, right? Like you have to have servers, and you have to have people that are helping you out with the website stuff, and um, it's not free to run, so it makes sense that you can charge a subscription for it. Yeah, people pay taxes, and uh, <laughs> right. right, people pay taxes, and then they they get uh, some services from state universities, right? Even though you're not getting your funding as at a state university you're getting it's amazing how tiny the amount of funding is that actually comes from the government um but i don't even know where i'm going with that but yeah things cost money to uh i think in my i think in my younger days i was like i'm gonna try and figure out how to get everything you know at as cheap as possible and free and then I, as i got older i'm like you know what I have value in myself. I, I expect people to pay me to do things if they want me to, to um, you know, help them or, or consult. Like I, I can't do it for free. So like, why would I expect other people to give me information for free? That's why I don't mind paying for a subscription because there's value in it. If it, if I find there's not value in it, I, I stop subscribing to it, right? Um, but I find value in Netflix. I find value in Hulu. <laughs> I subscribe to those because it's worth it to me. And I think the same thing about. You know, Pace Turf and, and ITS and um, and any of these other organizations I belong to. Yeah, tell me a little bit about ITS. I saw a tweet that you put out that said uh, you've uh, you've been working on the website now. And now, did that tweet? I'm I'm also a super follower of you. So there's some <coughs> tweets that I see that don't go to the general <laughs> public. Did I share something? Did, was that a was that to everybody? I don't think I, I don't think followers? I think it was to every no I think it was to everybody. But I don't think you could share a super follower tweet to anybody other than to super followers. Like I think if you shared it, it would still stay within the people that are super followers. Um, so I don't people, know. Super followers is weird. It's like if you have over ten thousand followers and you have done certain metrics over the past thirty days, they allow you to have access to what is called a super follower, and then you can charge people some amount of money. Um, to, you know, you could set the price at anything you want. I set it at the lowest, like $2.99 a month. And then anything I send out to the super followers only goes to them. And they're the only one. Actually, that's not true. I think everybody can see the super follower tweets, but only super followers can, um, can comment and reply. I think I, I have to look into that and see what the difference is. But the bottom line is um, I'm trying to figure out a way to provide, you know, more in depth and added content and narrow the conversation down. I follow almost everybody on Twitter that follows me. So I'm, I'm following something like 12,000 people. So when you tweet something out, I don't see it, right? It's like very difficult for me to see. But if I, if you're a super follower, I'm guaranteed to see it, right? I, it's going to be a much smaller pool of people and I can go directly to my super followers and see their comments and their tweets and anything they've shared. So I look at it as kind of narrowing down the conversation some, um, and, and ensuring that I'm going to see what you're putting out there. And, uh, so I don't know why it's 
we'll see where it goes and, and if it's valuable to people. I, I got to start finding some good content to share um, with that group. But really, it's about making sure that, that I'm seeing your conversation um, on things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Twitter is, uh, Twitter is interesting because it's only a small subset of the actual turf industry. So we're trying to reach everybody. But then if you think about who is on Twitter, it's a lot of high profile people. And certainly in academia, there's a lot of people on Twitter. And then in golf, golf course superintendents and assistant superintendents, there's a lot of people. Even so, it's uh, maybe 10% of the, of the industry. But then it's like, where else are you going to reach people? So, yeah. And I mean, do you need, do you need to reach every single person? I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, in academia, we're talking about from an extension standpoint, you know, uh, do enough to reach more people. Don't, don't connect on the individual level, which is silly to me. Um, but they don't want you, they don't want you going out visiting 650 golf courses in the year, right. In Pennsylvania, they want you to put out a blog post that reaches 300 of those golf courses, which I understand that from a standpoint of, economy of scale but um but i like to be able to interact with individual people i mean i think that to me is one of the things i like about my job is 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 helping individual people and then if somebody because i send something out if somebody else benefits from it great but um yeah anyway yeah it it's well, a, it's an experiment and right now it's it's providing me um not enough money to support my beer drinking during the week but it's well good, you have ex you, you probably are drinking very expensive beers then be, because um yes do, do you drink domestic or you're mostly getting microbrews um mostly microbrews and mostly new trail it's a brewery out of williamsport pennsylvania it's it's got my favorite all-time beers i don't know why they just make some really good beers and so they sell them in four packs like pounder beers you know 16 ounces and they're about mm -hmm. 16, 16 bucks for four pack. And that's what I drink, but they're double and triple IPAs. They're like, they whack you out pretty quick. Those, <laughs> those are delicious. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy going to the United States sometimes and, uh, seeing the wide selection of beer that's available because in Thailand, um, I can, I can go to a few places that have beer, but they're $10 a piece. Um, and, and oh, it's, really? it's not a wide selection. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can easily, I can go have three beers for, for, uh, $35 or something, but then it's like, that seems a lot. It would say Thailand has, Thailand has very high import duties on alcohol. Gotcha. So if you went, is, if you went to a store and bought a six pack of beer, would it cost that much too? If I would go to a store and buy, um, a six pack of Sing beer or Sing Hop beer. Uh, that would cost me uh, two hundred and forty. It would cost me about seven seven dollars or something. Uh, but you're going out to a place, and so you're gaining. It's like buying a glass of wine when you go out to a restaurant. It's no, I'm saying it. if if I if I go get a uh, what. Rogue had that uh, knuckle buster IPA. So if, if I could go get, uh, and that's one that I had on a recent trip to Bangkok that they had it in a refrigerator in a can and I can buy that for uh, $10 to take home with me. And that's at for a one, for one can, 
for one for can. one can and yeah. and if i get something like deschutes fresh fresh squeezed ipa or something which is is a beer that's that's relatively common to find on tap in bangkok that's going to cost me nine ten dollars too worth it. and so it's a good beer so yeah it's a good beer and if because i it is quite rare where i live in southern thailand <laughs> there are no beers like that so if i go to bangkok sometimes i'm i'll go spend 10 or 20 dollars on beer but generally i but now that you're now that you're getting all these new subscribers you can afford 10 dollars a beer it's like you know again support your beer habit like super followers for me <laughs> well we'll see we'll 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 see uh how it goes um but i i think i would rather save the money instead of blowing it on 10 dollars beers <laughs> <laughs> understood understood so um you mentioned about m meeting people in person or interacting with people uh in person and let's go back to the ITS and the ITS website and what's your role uh with the ITS coming up to the next conference and then you're doing the website um yeah so um ITS they have representation as directors from a variety of countries I still haven't figured out how they chose which countries maybe it's based on the number of members or who's a member country um, the United States has two reps. Everybody else has one rep. Kelly Cop uh, and I are uh, were elected this year as to be the U.S. reps. Um, Scott McElroy was the U.S. rep. He's moving up into the treasurer role. Um, and I think part of the reason they I, I nominated myself. I wanted to be a part of. I've, been, I've wanted to be a part of ITS for a long time. Um, it just never. I just never found the the timing to fit. Um, one of the things that they are looking at is, is Tom Shung is currently on the board and he's the director of, um, of the website as a, um, as a board member, he oversees all of the things on the website. The website is pretty dated. Um, and, and so I think that their idea is okay over the next three years, four years, um, maybe I can help modify, tweak that a little bit to make it a little bit more modern. Um, so, we all got COVID after ITS, <laughs> it was a mess. Um, came back and I basically locked myself in my bedroom for a week. And while I was there, I was like, you know what? I build websites all the time. Why don't I just get on ITS, create a subdomain and then build a website out. And so I went and built the entire thing in about three days and, and then shot it over to Scott, who's the treasurer and Tom um, for review. And right now we're, we're discussing the potential to use this as a new website and the challenges that can be created. So, you know, there's issues with having a member portal and, um, and making it user-friendly, but also easily updatable um, with the increased resources needed for a, a more elaborate website. There's talk of what it needs in terms of hosting and whether we have to upgrade the hosting. Um, so, the board proper has not seen the what nobody's seen the website except Scott and Tom and myself, um, and and it was a stab at it. And I like it. I think that it's decent. It's uh, it's an upgrade, but um, we've been emailing back and forth about the potential um, issues, you know, things that could pop up um, and, and hiccups as it relates to launching a new website when we have an existing website with members already attached to it. So. I think we're close to sending it to the board um, to see if they're interested in doing it. And they may say, no, we're, we just want to keep the existing site and not worry about it. Um, I'm hoping they see value in it because I think the goal 
is to increase membership in ITS as well, not just to scientists who are members. Um, you know, I think there's maybe 150 or 200 members, but also um, to try to reach out to um, industry and offer um, added value for members. Um, one of those being access to all the research publications that are that come out every year in ITS, uh, but also um, increasing the presence of events around the country between the the, the four-year quadrennial meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll put people's field days up there. We'll put ETS, the European Turf Society, we'll put their conference information up there um, to try and spread the word around what, every, what all our members are doing, you know, in between the four years that they, the annual or the, the quadrennial conference is held. And the next one's in Japan, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm sure you're excited uh, being a former superintendent from there. Um, I've never been to Japan aside from landing in Tokyo, refueling and taking off again. Um, so yeah. next year I'll get to go for the mid-conference tour, um, and then the meeting will be in 2025 in July, and uh, I think it'll be a, a lot of fun, but you know, educational and always good from a research standpoint. Yes, um, the president is uh, Dr. Tanogi now, uh, the mm -hmm. new president from Japan, and uh, we've been in course. I saw that. I saw that you are on uh, a zoysia grass symposium or something you're you're in yes. charge of that is that correct yes i am um i'm already thinking about some exciting things to do with that so it's uh it's going to be it's going to be exciting the for yeah most of the listeners probably don't know the if you hold a conference every four years there haven't been a lot of international turfgrass research conferences i think what was this one? The, the 15th, 16th or so, Yeah, maybe 15th 15th or 16th. I don't so remember. This started in the 1960s, right? Do you, you Google 1969 was the first one. It's been held every four years. Generally this conference gets like 200, 300, 400 people. But in 1989, I believe it was attended by an absurd number of people, something like seven, eight, hundred people maybe 900 people when it was held in tokyo because japan has a massive turf grass industry and that was right in the bubble now i was still in elementary school at that time so <laughs> i i did not go to the I was conference in i was in high school <laughs> in 1989 not nine hmm. oh I, something else we can talk about um uh, I just remembered that people probably don't know about us after we talk about this, um, the ITS. Anyway, it that conference in 1989 had double the double the normal number of attendees, and I think that the one in the upcoming one in 2025, I, I can't really predict how many people will attend. Uh, I would be surprised if it was that many, but I do expect it to be well attended well-organized and a great time. And it's going to be in Karuizawa, which is 45 minutes to an hour on the bullet train right out of central Tokyo. And it goes up into the mountains of Nagano. It's the first stop in Nagano Prefecture at a relatively high elevation, so it's relatively cool. Some amazing golf courses up there, beautiful scenery and lovely weather, great hotels and restaurants. And I'm pretty excited about getting a chance to spend a week there with 
friends from all over the world because it's just I was I've only been to two of these ITRC conferences. I went in 2005 when it was in Wales, and I went this year, but I skipped. In you, you went to the two best the two best conferences you went to because I've been to um, I didn't go to China, but I've been to everyone since 2001, and that was in Toronto. Um, Wales was awesome. It was a really good kind of chill, laid back event, and the, mm-hmm. uh, the town was pretty sleepy and old people, but it was a nice town. And, and Copenhagen, I mean, I'd never been there before. Now one of my favorite cities, just a really good city. So I thought those two were the best. Um, Toronto was nice. You know, Rutgers is Rutgers. It's not exciting for me to go to Rutgers um, in, at that conference. But I think for people coming in and being close to New York, I'm sure that was good for some people. Um, Chile was good. It was okay. Um, I didn't go to uh, China, but I'm looking forward to Japan. I think it's probably going to be my highlight. Yeah, I the it's at a nice hotel but the hotel is not in a city it's kind of in a yeah it's by a train station so we'll see how that goes you tell me next summer after you go for the the visit but i mean for somebody like me who's been who typically would travel to japan quite a bit um i think it's going to be great so but yeah, the thing I, is, you're close to Tokyo, so if you get to the conference and you finish the conference, you could always take a weekend or another week, and you could spend the week in Tokyo and, and experience the, that as well. Yeah, but you can pop on the bullet train and go to Tokyo in in an hour too. So right, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I just think like you're there at the conference for the conference. You do that. You'll do some kind of tour that they do, some day trip. <laughs> I think they're going to do two. They're going to do one to cool season and one to warm season grasses. Um, they're going to split them into two different tours and you can pick which one you want to go on. Um, I don't know. I anticipate being able to see quite a bit. If I'm going to fly that far across the country, um, I'm going to spend some extra time and experience Japan. And I'm going to make lots, I'm going to make recommendations of cool things for people to see. So nice. uh, Good food to eat. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, okay. We're, we're almost done, but, uh, I don't think everybody knows that we both used to work at Desert Mountain Golf Club when we were young, young. Uh, what what year did you work there? I worked there the year before you did in 95. 95. I did summer yeah, of 95. So I was in college and was like, I don't want to be in college. I want to quit school and go do something else. So I took a semester off. <clears throat> to the chagrin of my parents who thought I was dropping out of college. Um, I had a college professor who convinced my parents, he's like, we'll give him a credit. We'll give him a, a independent study credit just to keep him locked into Penn State. There you go, Penn State. Um, and so I went out to Desert Mountain in like first week of February and I worked there till August and then kind of got my recharge, it's like a sabbatical, you know, like I got a recharge and I wanted to come back to school. but. That was a great experience for me to be out there. Um, that was the first golf course I worked on, and I enjoyed it. That's yeah. That's so we always have that connection, and we kind of have a connection with Congressional because I went up there for an interview uh, with Mr. Latshaw and Sam Green, I I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, so I got the interview, and I got offered a job to where I could have worked there for the. Uh, us open in 1997 and i'd also applied at augusta national and i <laughs> got a job <laughs> offer there also down. and uh, 
the it's like wow do you do you do the u.s open and work for mr latshaw which would have been incredible or do you do augusta and it's like well uh, i kind of had uh, i i chose to work at augusta um but yeah I, and then when i met you a, a few years later and then i realized that you'd worked at desert mountain you'd you'd had one of those jobs in 1997 where i could have been working there um and we could have been walking along fairways with me yeah we could have been we so i just missed you i feel like we just missed from working together um which would have yeah. been fun back then i um you must have been a very skinny and small little guy yeah, I think I probably weighed about 120 pounds when I worked at Thunder National, <laughs> which, which, isn't, which isn't that much different than now. And I think I'm about 155, so I got a few pounds to lose. But uh, yeah, I was pretty pretty tiny when I worked there. I don't know if I could have lift 50 pounds over my head at that point. I was kind of you know strong, but I was tiny. <clears throat> yeah. We also, awesome. this is the 10-year anniversary of our trip to Asia and, and all around the You know that area. what? I'm going to... I'm going to move some of the blog posts that summarize that amazing trip onto my current website. And when I get those pictures all updated in those summaries, I will invite you back as a guest on the ATC Double Cut for us to talk about that. And maybe Sounds we off. can even play that video of us uh, racing down, getting in a crash. <laughs> uh, as we, yeah, we took from the these, people behind us, right? Yeah, people. Yeah, well, I think it was. Were they crashing into us, or we crashed into people in front of it us? Was the, it was the three young ladies that were in front of us that were like models, and they were going real slow. They were scared to go. So we stopped and let them get a little bit of a head so we could go fast. <clears throat> in the process, the guys behind us caught up, and they didn't know how to hit their brakes. And when we got to the end, I remember sitting in the little cart, and, and they just crashed right into us. Yeah, let's, let's say we were bobsledding down from the Great Wall uh, on wheels. Right. And some kind of the fun kind of thing that you can do with the Great Wall. That was the kind of the culmination of a trip that started in Singapore. Is you look back on it and it's like, wow, that was some uh, trip. We did seminars in Singapore, Bangkok, Ho Chi Minh City, Manila, Hong Kong, and then Beijing, and we managed like to do days. that in in like nine days. And can you imagine now doing that? There's no way travel wise you would you would hit all those connections and make all those flights. Like they would be totally screwed up. Yeah, considering that for some of those countries, there's such travel restrictions. But it is nice, if, if you think about it, Singapore is a major world city and a national capital. Bangkok, the same. Uh, Ho Chi Minh City is the largest city in Vietnam. It's not the capital. Manila is a capital. Hong Kong is a big major global city. Beijing is a national capital of a big major uh, country. So uh, flights between, there tends to be a lot of flight, direct flights between cities like that, and they tend to be on time. So if, if there wasn't, if there weren't travel restrictions to go into China right now, then we could certainly pull that off. Because it's like for me going to Copenhagen, it's crazy. You said you had to, like you were going home, you had to, to do two connections or, or something in like a 16-hour yeah. trip Copenhagen or to Heathrow to Philly to State College. Yeah, it was a long, it was about 26 hours, 24 hours to get back. Right. And so I, I did uh, Copenhagen to Bangkok nonstop 
and of course it's a long flight it was uh but it's downwind i think that was 11 and a half hours or something um that's but it's good. like boom now and and i got to bangkok and i live in southern thailand and i was like you know i'm not going to do anything in bangkok so i just went to my condo there got on the computer bought a domestic flight and went right back to the air well went to a different airport because Bangkok is a big major world city. It has multiple airports. So I went to the other airport and uh, flew flew home. So, yeah. I, yeah, well, my international travel will be interesting because I think I'll be going to Australia this fall and then South Africa in May and maybe back to Australia and New Zealand um, right around that trip, either before or after. So I've got a lot of long travel coming up. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully travel gets better. Hopefully, I'm trying to get to Japan next month, and Japan has a lot of restrictions, and I need to apply for permission, and it's not online. I think I have to actually go to an office in Bangkok and submit some paperwork. Um, so good, I just got good permission to know for my trip for my trip next year, I guess, to Japan. One hopes one hopes that they're gonna uh, relax that at some point prior to your trip. <laughs> fingers all, crossed all righty john we won't bore our listeners anymore because we've covered uh the exciting parts and now that we're talking about my travel and your travel um we you can just cut off the last five minutes of this podcast I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to because some of your super followers or some people uh, that are really into this maybe they like listening to it but john i'm gonna say thank you so much for joining me uh, I'll be welcome. Uh, I'll, I will welcome you to stay on, but I'm going to sign off uh, to close the show, and then we can talk a little bit more about a few things. Um, so you don't necessarily have to hang up right now. But I would like yeah, to thanks say, for having me, Micah. Thank you so much. I would like to have you back when we talk about the things that we've been involved in, and the things that we're interested in, and the things that we did ten years ago or something. It's like. Yeah, I think we we should have another episode to talk about that. So thanks. I'm looking forward to it. All righty, John. I will say goodbye. You can say goodbye. All right. Um, thanks for having me, Micah. It was uh, enjoyable. Everybody go subscribe to Paste <laughs> Yeah, and super follow John, which you can do if you go to his uh, go to his Twitter account. And that was a spectacular conversation with John, who had some very kind things to say about Pace Turf. And you can see the direct link to that blog post that I mentioned, the one about my acquisition of Pace Turf. I will put a direct link to that in the description of the video, in the show notes of the podcast, so that you can find out all about those things that we were talking about at Pace Turf. I'll put links to uh, where you can get John's book and to John's Twitter account in case you don't happen to know where you can find that. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm signing off for ATC from Yantakau, Thailand. Thank you very much. I'm Michael Woods. Bye-bye.